<laughs> Welcome, everybody, to the Run Your Mouth podcast. We're back on the Summer Porch Tour, episode two, on a fantastic porch out in the uh, Pennsylvania region, overlooking w- what would be a beautiful swimming pool, but <laughs> it's not full. But you got cheap Jew yeah. landlords, and they won't fill it up. Oh, they just want oh, you to live a I life think of just looking. Cheap, yeah. Um, they just want me to look at an empty swimming pool and be wistful. There you go. All right. Well, just so that you have your anonymity, I, I have problems with that word. Anonymity. Thank you. Anim, an, anonymity. Anonymity. You it got might it. just be four hours of you coaching me through that one word. <laughs> Say it once more. Anonymity. Anim, anonymity. <laughs> Close enough. Man. We didn't even drink that much. I don't know why I have such a hard time with that word, but I do. <laughs> Close enough. Close enough. Uh, we'll just we'll just call you uh, sexy Professor K. That's how we'll. What, we, can we go with that for the episode? You can even go with my first name. I don't care. Uh, we'll go with K. Special okay. K. Special K. <laughs> I like it. Yes, All Special right. K, a philosophy <laughs> professor at multiple distinguished colleges, here to help educate our audience, and uh, a big fan of the podcast. That's that's cool because it's shocking to me that anybody who has even something that resembles a brain listens to it. Firstly, it's shocking that anyone listens to this altogether, <laughs> but the fact that there are educated college professors <laughs> listening to this, is it makes me feel like maybe half what we're saying isn't completely dumbassery. We, we need a relief, like seriously, from right. the... The, the the gross seriousness of uh, just all the bullshit of the acad- academic halls I mean the mustiness you know you get in there and everybody's smart talking each other they're trying to talk each other up so you know what it's so nice to come home and crash and eat a special I cookie and listen to you we're like your dumb friends <laughs> <laughs> I get it you know, I have dumb yeah, friends kinda, in my life yeah, every once in a while you want to get away from work and no, just hang out with some idiots but and it's, feel, it's yeah. not even dumb it's like the smart it's like a it's like a better view on on the mundane side of life like that's what it is because like I spend so much time inside my brain inside right. my head and so does everybody else that I'm around um so what you do is you make regular mundane ordinary life like toilet humor and stuff like that <laughs> like funny and it's like man god do I need that it's because I, I my Jew anxiety goes <laughs> so much to worrying about toilets that that's not it's just something that I have to talk about about the, like I have to diffuse it this right is up. my therapy for for toilet anxiety okay <laughs> which actually brings me to my first topic that's what I was hoping to talk to you about no not really okay <laughs> but when you first hit me up I was I got really excited and I was like dude I'm gonna crash course in philosophy I'm gonna I'm gonna study my ass off I'm gonna show up and this professor is gonna be like how did you not do well in school I can't even believe that you're read this much that your attention's this good and I got really excited about it for all of a day and then I did absolutely zero <laughs> prep after that <laughs> all right so what did you what did you actually no no up? I have I have some fun topics that I think you might have information on sure but yeah. like even Plato's uh, even Plato's allegory of the cave you emailed to me and was short and I was like yeah I'm not gonna actually read that. <laughs> All of four pages. <laughs> it was that all it was, yeah. and and you took the time to scan it for me, so I didn't even have to track down, which might have taken all of a Google search. I already had it scanned for my students because oh. they're just as lazy. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So the first question that I have for you, as we kind of get started over here, is. Um, I went to Queens College, and what was interesting about Queens College was that it was a commuter school, and basically there were a lot of Jews and Asians and some other people that were, I guess, less easy to categorize than Jews and Asians. Okay. <laughs> like, you can kind of look at a Jew and know they're a Jew or look at an Asian and know they're an Asian. 
Asians for the most part. For the maybe. most part, yeah. Yeah. Some of these other people, I don't know what they were a bunch of. Anyways, Queens College was an interesting school because it's a commuter school and it's really just kids that want to show up, get an education. The school has a decent reputation. There's, I, I think maybe it costs twenty five hundred bucks a semester to be there. Love so it, it's really kind of a no bullshit. People are here to kind of go to college, get a degree, and leave. I, I didn't hang out on campus a lot. I didn't think it was fun in any way. The other thing is I got a degree in finance, and a lot of what they describe as the leftist agenda that exists on college campuses, I didn't really see it. But part of why I didn't really see it is because I got a degree in finance, and I do think what was interesting to me about working in hedge funds is these guys, since they're actually placing monetary bets about what's going on in the world, they have a pretty honest perspective about money and what the real picture is. Right. On that note, the first time I ever heard about Austrian economics was working in a hedge fund when um, this was back after the recession and like I think they were doing maybe planning for QE2 and it came up like, like I don't know, they were just kind of talking about it. it was a gold trading desk and they were talking about inflation and they said, um, you know, according to the Keynesian economics, yeah, there's no inflation, but you got this other school. And I was like, wait, what's this other school? How come mm-hmm. I never heard about that? But the point just being finance, being finance. You ever read the website Zero Hedge? Sometimes. Uh, like occasionally I do. I haven't read that thing in years, but that was like, right. you read Zero Hedge, it's all anti-Fed, anti-Jew, gold, and the yeah. world's coming to shit. That's why they call it Zero Hedge. Exactly. But the point being, finance people have a slightly more honest perspective about what's going on. And so even in my studies of, because I was in college during the recession, which wasn't the best time to be graduating college. Sure. They talked about some of the real things that happened, even in the government creating credit asset bubbles. So in other words, I didn't see a lot of this leftist culture, mind control. I didn't see that. Right. But it's because I went to commuter school and because I was in finance and it's not as easy to kind of push that agenda. So as a person who's working in academia, <laughs> yes. tell me a little bit about like just how transparent it is, how much of it exists, like what are you fighting against, how much can you not even interact with other professors because they kind of have that <sighs> thing to them, just lay it on, like how real is it? That's a huge, that's a huge thing because um, there are a lot of sectors of academia that are kind of secluded like they're kind of uh, you know exempt from all the sjw bullshit that we hear about so finance maybe one of those um chemistry uh, perhaps right because it's math how are you gonna yeah, shove numbers into but it even you know even math this makes and a bionic thing but you got to respect the black guy yeah even yeah. math and biology now they're having like feminist perspectives on biology and feminist perspective i don't know that beats the hell out of me, but um, I've you know being in the humanities like we're. Um, what we're, is the feminist perspective? What does that even mean? Mathematic? Uh, I don't know. I never bothered to pursue you it. You argue it's, more. <laughs> it's, <laughs> you, you bitch about yeah. the equation, and you're like, I don't, I don't know. You, you I don't get, think this is right. Right, you get to it. the answer, but you complain a little bit and go, "Yes, I get that that's the math, but you're not listening to me." <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you're just a bitch about it all. Um, and you know, biology, of course, has been compromised because of the whole transgender thing. Right. You know, they're like, oh, there's, no, there's not just two genders. There's like an infinite number of genders. As well. You can be a unicorn. Or as the Google employee said, you can be uh, a, a, a yellow-scaled wingless dragonkin and an, an ornate building at the same time. But then it just sounds like they're just being pro-imagination. You <laughs> well, know? They're just I telling mean, people to... Yeah, you know, but they're, all, they're introducing this into like biology talk, which is scary. Right. And then at that point... 
to whatever happened to the concept of exploring truth (laughs) and debating what is truth. What what is real and what is not real. Yeah, I mean, that's what you might think is fundamental to getting an education (laughs) and then being able to go through life. I guess somewhat rationally. Or solve problems. Like if you really want to solve problems, you have to have basic stepping stones to do that. And so you have to know like, you know, certain chemical compounds. You have to know that there's like a certain gender biological difference. I live in a reality where my car doesn't need gas. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck with that. You can just get around without gas. That was was big gas lying us just the whole time. (laughs) Have you ever ran out of gas in a car? Um, Close, but never... I never have, which I've had those moments where I'm like, maybe, maybe they I are coasted lying. one time. I coasted one time. How far? Um, just like down and off ramp. It was like, I was like, oh man, I know I can make it to the next, next rest stop. I was on the PA Turnpike headed west to test, uh, Pittsburgh. And I was like, I can make it to the next rest stop. And uh, I pushed it to the limit and I coasted into the f- petrol station and I got uh, got my fuel. It was good. I didn't have to call AAA or anything. There you go. You lucked <laughs> I out. I was one of those chicks. So, okay. Just going back to the question at hand, can you tell us a little bit yes. about how rampant the leftist agenda is? It's everywhere. Yeah, okay. It's so everywhere. lay it on us. Like, what, what you know. Um, our, okay. At, You're actually at, there. To at, me, it's a theoretical. Yes. At the one institution where I used to work but no longer work because I refuse to comply. <laughs> right. Um, they have a diversity and inclusivity uh, office that oversees virtually every dimension of departmental activity, including the creation of courses and the creation of syllabus, which means the selection of course materials. So they will review your syllabus for how many diverse points you get for your syllabus. So so do you have uh, a woman of color on your syllabus? Do you have a transgender person on your syllabus? Do you have... Like, I'm teaching math. <laughs> well, I'm teaching ancient philosophy. Right. There's the... like dead white guys. That's it. Like, that's all I got is Plato and, you know, Aristotle right. and maybe the pre-Socratics and stuff. But they're all, they're all Greeks and they're all dead and they're all white. Like, basically what we consider white. I mean, not white according to the early American standards of white, but right. um, like white nowadays. And so it's like, there, there's nothing else. Like, I can't conjure up like a transgender person. Person, it's not Can you possible. just lie and say Aristotle was black? Well, what's happening? I'll tell Let you. Let me tell you about this wise black man, <laughs> well, they're trying. They were trying to do that to St. Augustine. They were trying to say that St. Augustine was a black man. Okay. Because um, he lived in North Africa. Well, it happens to be colonized by the Roman Empire, and he happens to be a descendant of the Roman colonizers. So uh, it didn't. that doesn't work out that way. But what happens is that... In, in a curriculum, it's it becomes perverted. So if, if you're teaching ancient philosophy, you're not allowed to teach the ancient text directly. You have to teach them through secondary sources that are gay and transgender and black and Indian and everything else like throughout the what, world. So what are those secondary sources? Just the... It's people commenting on the original sources. And going, hey, here's proof of our concept of equality because of this one writing of Aristotle. Or they're just offering their own interpretation of the original work, but they're doing it from their perspective, which is more legitimate from than like my perspective right. or the perspective of other ancient commenters who had or the original person himself. Right. It's like it almost elevates to a new level the legitimacy of the viewpoint because it's been filtered through this more, in my opinion, mediocre viewpoint. Can you, uh, and feel free to pass on this, can you speak to a specific where you're like, the way that they're teaching this is just a total misrepresentation and is clearly pushing an agenda? 
Um, and I understand if you like if you can't because it's kind of we're talking in theory. So right. feel free to pass. But can, is there a specific example you can think of and go that is just the most of a rep- misrepresentation I've ever seen? The I can't I, I can't give you like one specific thing right now. But what I'll say is that the use of the body in our contemporary intellectual political. Uh, climate as the defining identifying characteristic of a human being has infiltrated like interpretations of ancient ancient texts which had nothing to do with that Socrates goes so far in as to say in the Phaedo that the body has nothing to offer us in the way of knowledge which means ignore it okay ignore your body because it doesn't give you any knowledge so therefore your race your gender your whatever it is it's not going to give you any additional knowledge than you can have through your soul. So the contemporary emphasis on the body itself is just a perversion of all the beautiful ancient wisdom that comes through Plato and Aristotle and and the the ancients in general, like St. Augustine as well. I mean, of course, in the Christian tradition, the flesh is redeemed, you know, and so you could say, well, the body gains a new kind of importance in that dimension, but that's a different issue altogether than what's going on right now, which is specific bodies have more importance than other bodies. And so I want to go back to the Socratic tradition and say, you know what? The fact that you're a woman doesn't give you any more wisdom into what it means to run a country or to make decisions than, than a man or, right. or, or a transgender person or anything like that. I told this joke on the, on the podcast, uh, this might be 40 episodes back when they were talking about like microaggressions. Yeah. And, oh, God. <laughs> but, <laughs> but we have this idea that you can't have insight in this culture unless you're kind of a person of victim. Right. You're, unless the, unless you're a victim, that's almost people's credentials now is, listen, the reason why I should be president is because I came from a broken home, my dad was poor, and I'm gay. Or the reason why, I like, or they'll go, hey, you're not allowed to comment on this because you're straight and, and white. You're cis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The joke I had is like, you know, you, you get an Einstein type, type guy and goes, hey, I cured cancer. And they're like, well, have you been molested? <laughs> exactly. Otherwise, what's your information <laughs> worth? Right. So speaking to your point, which is this concept that for some reason... And you're, you're, the, it's almost more racist to go, hey, the way that you look physically is going to have to be the criteria by which I judge whether or not you have wisdom. Of course. And I guess as far back as Aristotle, he was saying, hey, listen, th- your physical body has no indication, which is why he had that disgusting beard, you know? He was living it. <laughs> well, Aristotle was a little bit... Was he I an mean, ugly dude? I don't know. I don't think I don't think either Aristotle or Plato were ugly dudes. Socrates was a notoriously ugly dude. Um, he had busts statues of him you know and it's like oh yeah he had a snub nose he was famous for that pot right. belly kind of like balding dude uh, not that there's anything <laughs> against balding How dare dudes. this podcast is over <laughs> i mean i'm trying to adjust to it jesus christ um, lady but yeah he don't have a snub nose so you're good thank you <laughs> but anyway he um yeah he he like okay so they were ugly like they, they were they were uh, ugly old white guys like right. it doesn't make a difference 
their ideas. I got to tell you, I like their little dick statues because you get to walk around and feel good about yourself. Oh, exactly. You know what I mean? You get Sometimes, to be like, hey, I'm doing okay. Look at look at fucking Alexander right. the Great here over here. He conquered yeah. countries and he had like something to prove. He had nothing. I'm doing pretty good. Right. But <laughs> the, yeah, exa- exactly. But I mean, when it comes like, okay, if you evaluate them on their bodies, yeah. then you get it all wrong. And, and if you evaluate, evaluate them on the color of their skin or their status in society, you know, that's being classist. And so... Um, if you evaluate them on their ideas, however, then then you get a whole like treasure trove of of, of wonderful stuff. And it's like, if I read an article, let's just say I read an article online, yeah. and and I am like, wow, like that's like that's such an amazing insight. That's so wonderful. I don't go look at look the biography at the and see like, oh, is this person a person of color? Should I uh, put this on my syllabus? I don't even care. Right. I, don't, I don't give a shit what, what Asian, color you can't they're. trust them. <laughs> no, it's like, this is an amazing insight. This goes on my syllabus. And do you find most of, what do you teach freshmen or who do you mostly teach? I teach all levels. Do you find when people, okay, I guess twofold question. One is, do you find that freshmen come in from high school having this perspective and then the flip side of that is like let's say you have a junior and you've never had them in your class before yeah. do you find that you end up arguing that with them more because they've heard so much of this narrative from other professors you kind of have to have a logical argument with them like well wh- what do you base that opinion on and you kind of have to like rework their brain a little bit that's interesting i like i've never had a formidable student opposition to my position i've had some weak ones and I've had some questions which were really good in the classroom. And sometimes what I'll do is when a student asks a question, I will steel man their question. Right. I'll make it stronger than it was originally. I'm like, look, I know what you're getting at. I'm going to make that even stronger than it was, which is what St. Thomas Aquinas was really good at. Right. Um, steel manning questions. So I, I, I've tried to make it a habit of mine. I'll take your question, make it better, and I'll give you a stronger answer than you expected. And then they just, they kind of are speechless after that. And so it, it's like when you throw logic right. at people in a classroom setting, not not like on one of those campus protest settings, but in a, in a classroom setting, when you throw logic at some, some people, it actually tends to work. And I haven't had any screaming SJWs. And I don't know if it's because of the kind of personality that I have or if it's just the fact that I can throw logic out at people right, like that. It's also probably the fact that you're accepting of alternative point of views within the classroom doesn't give people a very strong footing to pretend like they're being, that you're being dismissive, dismissive of them or pushing some sort of an agenda. True. So it's hard for them to pretend like, hey, this is offensive or what you're doing is clearly trying to push the male white agenda. Okay, now to go to the, like, um, I guess the actual college side of it, there is no one single individual. There's no dude working at the CIA in some back room who's writing up college plans and handing it to every single college that filters down. But as a person who's there, and I guess experiences that there's a lot of other professors who seem to have a more left perspective and feel that it's noble of them to kind of teach that perspective. And correct me if I'm wrong if you're not seeing this, but firstly, is that something that you're seeing? And secondly, what do you see as being like the original source that all this information is being proliferated? And like, 
do they kind of shun you for having an alternative perspective? Yes, they shun me for having an alternative perspective. I've gotten fired twice. Right. Um, so I'm definitely... Do you think, like, if you were pure leftist, do you think you'd have tenure at, like, some oh, great... absolutely. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Like, you've, you've, you've paid the financial and lifestyle cost... Definitely. ...of having a... You know, just living by what your true, what your personal perspectives are. I won't back down, and like in order to forgive this language, but uh, in order to advance in the university system, you need to suck dick. Right. And it's not just a man's dick; it's the devil's dick. Right. They will only give you tenure when you kneel, and they know that you're no longer a threat to their system. And I'm a threat to their system because I challenge the very existence of the university itself, and I don't believe that. Uh, there should be tenure. I don't believe. I think every idea should always be challenged. Right. And you shouldn't have ultimate safety from your idea. You know, your ideas. It's like no, you should be fired if you have bad ideas. Um, so I believe in a market system for education, and this is very threatening to the universities. And you know, just my libertarian beliefs in general are threatening. That the the fact that, um, well like the grading system and and the paying for paying for uh the fact that the, the the universities have become like a giant corporate monster it's like a multi-tentacled hydra thing like you, you know you might slap one university down but they keep growing up and so you get this like this monster and um they keep ratcheting up the prices every four years and i think it's actually child abuse to send your child to college these days Okay. Like, I'll be that bold. So, break down both for us. Okay. First, let's go with why you think it's child abuse. Then let's go with why, in your opinion, they keep raising prices. Okay. Why it's child abuse is the great majority of professors, the great majority of professors that your children will be exposed to if you have children or if you are a college student, the great majority of professors will be leftist. That's been proven by Jonathan Haidt. And by uh, Jordan Peterson and other guys like who've done investigations into this kind of thing. Has They're, he written any? Has Height written any books since the uh, Why the Good mind? People Are Divided by yeah, Politics? The and, Righteous Mind book. Yeah. Oh, then I haven't read that. Uh, well, I read, no, that, that's the one that you're talking about. But he has written another one since then. Oh, with, okay. With um, because that book was excellent. The Why yeah. Good People Are Divided by Religion and Politics. That was fantastic. Yeah. But he's written one as a follow up to an article that he wrote with. Uh, Greg Lukianoff, who's the head of FIRE, the Foundation for Individual Rights and in Education, I think right. it is what it is. Um, and he, so they, they co-authored a book on the coddling of the American mind. Okay. So it's worth looking which is, into. That, by the way, I borrowed some of his academics when I did that piece on microaggression, which, like I said, is 40 yeah. episodes back. But that was one of his big arguments is you're not helping people um, by kind of not challenging their viewpoints. When you coddle them, exactly. you don't help them. And this is something me and, me and Dave have spoken about, but like even when they talk about how, um, let's say, minorities, that the system is working against them, you're not empowering people by telling them that. The way that people get ahead in life right. is by working as... I, I saw this. I worked in a sales office once, and I didn't think for one second... Anyone was making any sales. We had to get on the phone and get people to give us their credit cards and social security numbers. I'm like, who in fuck is going to give me their fucking credit card and social security number after a 20-minute phone call? Idiots that, there aren't that many dumbass, I can make a thousand phone calls a day, I'll never get someone who's that fucking stupid on the phone who's going to give me their credit card number by the phone. 
and that was me. And then there were other people who got on the sales floor and said, I am the smartest person in the world. No one's going to be a better salesperson than I am. And they were, dude, they couldn't even talk English. They were dumbasses. And they started making sales. And I realized, oh, it's because they have confidence and they're working harder than me. That was one of the best life lessons I ever had is that the recipe for success is saying, hey, I can accomplish something and then putting in the work ethic behind it. When you tell people, hey, you're behind and you don't have a chance... You fucked him over. Exactly. It's not a winning attitude. So while it's true that the cards might be stacked against you, telling that to people is not empowering. Yeah. However, there there's this, um, you know, the culture of everybody gets a trophy, right? You know, yeah. the little kids, like little league baseball. Can I tell you, they pretend like that's new. I remember being in some basketball camp at four years old or whatever, yeah. and they gave me a trophy. Well, I also remember I complained to my grandparents once that I didn't get a trophy. They gave me a trophy, best grandson. You're a min- it was very sweet of them. I, still, I don't have that anymore. You're a millennial. <laughs> no, it's it's true. Like okay, I'm the exact person uh, people have been complaining about. I'm a Gen Xer, <laughs> yeah. and that didn't happen in my world. They told you to go fuck yourself. You're a loser. Exactly. Like, yeah. you know, second place is first place loser. That's funny. They yeah. really said that? Yeah, That's that a great was line. It. Can you repeat that? that? That's such a great se- line. Second place is first place loser. Right? You were so close and you just couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. The rest so- of them, they didn't even have a chance. You just didn't put in the little bit that right. you did like that, to not be a loser. That half second that you there didn't you go. like cross that finish line, <laughs> you know, that, that like half inch you didn't like jump that long jump kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. No, that was it. You were the closest, but you yeah. just wouldn't commit. But it was it's reality. Yeah. I mean, that's what reality is. And if you're in the marketplace, that's what reality is. Right. Second place doesn't get the deal. You're, you you're, get zero. You're first place loser. Yeah. yeah. So it's like you're, you're so, the coddling of the American mind happened like a lot. It started happening back in, I, I think it was the, the early 1980s. That's when it started happening. And like, so I kind of escaped that because I had like good parents. But um, but a lot of my generation kind of got swept into that. And your generation definitely got swept into that whole, everybody gets a trophy, everybody's cool. So you have this false sense of self-esteem. So if you give people a false self, self sense of self-esteem and you send them into a really challenging environment and they fail, like, are you doing them any good? I mean, it doesn't do them any good to tell them that they're worthless and they're stupid and that they can't do anything and they're victims. That's also true. So we're caught between like, where's where's the right spot for reality? It's like, okay, you're not a victim, but you're also not Superman. Right. I think a lot of that actually does, in some ways, initiate from government and that I think they want to be able to kind of print money and <laughs> the result of being able to print money and to give out social benefits for votes creates... Um, there's actual dollars to be made from victimhood culture. They created an incentive for victimhood culture. True. And I think a lot of what you see from the left is that there's actual dollars to be earned by knowing, hey, I got to align myself with the Fed. And, and when I say the Fed, I know that sounds fucking crazy, but it's essentially all money is kind of coming from government. They get to control what is or isn't printed. They get to control who it goes to first. I better play nice with them. And I also think when they're doing that, they don't really want people to question, hey, is everything really this prosperous? Because this is what's interesting. If you look at like real growth charts in this country for money, it exactly parallels kind of the amount of debt that the country's taking on. 
Like, if you look at the yeah. two charts of real wealth in this country, growth rates, and you look at um, debt in this country, the two charts are parallel. Okay. So a lot of the prosperity that we have here is kind of fictional. And if you really want to look into it, it's because of the imperialism of going off the gold standard and the dollar being the reserve currency of the world. And to kind of further explain what that means is there's dollar demand. People want dollars, right. which means that we can have an endless amount of debt. That... It, Without dollar demand, that doesn't exist. Okay, so just to kind of come full circle to what we're describing with leftist culture, I'm a little drunk. Fuck, I think I kind of lost my train of thought here. I definitely <laughs> well, was going somewhere. We were going to get to the funding of 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 university education, right? Through this whole debt cycle yeah. type thing. Is that what we were going for? Nah, I lost it. Whatever. <laughs> there might have been something intelligent on the back end of that, but I, I just yeah, that's what happens when you're a fucking spaz. <laughs> Anyways, Jonathan Hate though. A fucking ADD up the dick. Um, He's cool because he's very mild-mannered and well-researched. He's kind of hard to argue with because he's very just, well, it, you know, he's like, he's got, uh, he's very soft-spoken and he's like, well, here are the facts and I did my research. Right. And so in that, he's he's kind of a good asset for the cause of, oh, hey, fantastic. let's look at what the facts are. Yeah, yeah. He's fantastic. Um, he, he and Jordan Peterson both on, like, if you watch their interviews on YouTube, like the, the two of them together talking about university culture, because Jonathan Haidt did a lot of research into um, the psychology of disgust. Okay. And and so when it comes to like what motivates SJWs like right. social justice warriors for those people who don't know the acronym, um, it's it's disgust at like Trump. It's disgust at 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 conservatives. It's disgust. At, you know, you look at the women's march. It's mostly motivated by disgust. Is there a professor who really gets up in class and tells people, hey? Like I, I'm not in these words, but is there someone who's really going, hey, I want to explain to you? why you need to be an SJW, kind of like laying out that narrative? They don't lay out the narrative because it's all very subtle. Right. It's all it's all infused into an assumed, like this is what you're assumed to believe in the college culture. Right. So it's infused and interwoven in a very um, nefarious and uh, like undetectable way. So students aren't even really cognizant of the, the fact that they're being indoctrinated or exposed to these toxic ideas. And so they become active. Like what it is, it's an activist breeding ground. It's no longer an institution of learning. People go there to become activists and the professors go there to be activist activators. And that's why you say if you're a parent, you should not send your kid exactly. to college because you're basically just sending them there to get a false perspective on life and become a leftist shill. Exactly. Yes. And so if you do that... You're basically subjecting your child to um, a worthless amount of, of, of debt and, and, and just indoctrination and hard you know, brain wiring. It's just the worst. So don't do it. Just go somewhere else. <laughs> like learn a trade. Learn how to do carpentry or I, welding or whatever. That is one of, uh, I wish, you know, I came from uh, like middle class Jewish culture. And some of the people I grew up with are really significantly smarter than me. I mean, like, there's tiers of intelligence, and I've learned later in life that I'm not as much of a dumbass as I thought I was. <laughs> like, I really thought growing up I was a dumbass because of <laughs> the people I was around and how much I hated school. <laughs> like, no, like, I know, I grew up with kids who now have jobs at Goldman Sachs and went to Penn. Like, went, it, that's like right. a different tier of intelligence to me. But then I hang out with other people, and I'm like, no, they're, they're, I'm not retarded. I'm just not as smart <laughs> as that guy was. <laughs> 
But yeah, go, go ahead. If you got there's different on that. types of intelligence, and right. I think that you know we 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 look at people in the banking world or the financial world or whatever, and, and we're like, oh god, they got a job with Goldman Sachs, they must right. be really intelligent, or they have a PhD in philosophy, they must be really intelligent. Right. No, no, they went through, they jumped through the right hoops is what they did. And that's what e- that's what education is about these days. I, it's about jumping through the right hoops. While that's true, I also, like, my sister's a lawyer now. I can never have sat down and studied for the LSATs. I never would have done it. Like, Are you ADD like me? Yeah, I am. I mean, <laughs> you could, I am, like, the most ADD. If, you, if there was an ADD contest, I'm pretty sure I would win that. No, I don't know about that, man. <laughs> I, like, I've got the ADD on lock. <laughs> <laughs> I think there might be a... There might be a... We, we might have to have yeah. some kind of a test. What, what, uh... All right, let's just talk ADD for a second. How many cause... tabs do you have open on your computer at one time? <laughs> all of them. <laughs> Literally, all of them. Me too. <laughs> That's my thing. I like Like a max amount. Yes. Like, you can't open anymore. <laughs> and it's not porn either. It's all like, like, what about no, this kind of also, thing? Also, <laughs> if I'm watching porn, it will be 40 tabs of porn. Like, I won't even start watching the porn until I've lined up 25 that might be interesting. And then the second is porn. Tina's and then like yes. all the rest. And then of the second it's boring, <laughs> there, you're gone. <laughs> okay. Well, while we're on the ADD talk, have you ever been formally diagnosed with ADD? Um, I guess kinda. I don't know. By by a by a psychiatrist, I I hold in disrepute. Right. Um, because I think he's he's a hack. Uh, so, I mean, as an adult, I was diagnosed, but as a child, I was just curious. Right. You know, so back in the 1980s, when I grew up, like, you weren't called ADD, you were just called curious and energetic right? <laughs> and whatnot. It wasn't a disease. And so it wasn't until like the late 80s and 90s that they started diagnosing this as some kind of a disease. So luckily I wasn't medicated as a kid because otherwise I would have been like a zombie. Were you- were you ever medicated as an adult? Or yes. What, which, uh, what they gave you? Concerta. Okay. And Wellbutrin. Okay. And, um... Well, you wouldn't have been taking... Effexor. You, you wouldn't have been taking Concerta and Wellbutrin at the same time. Uh, I think I... I don't... I can't remember now at this point. I mean, it was a long time ago. Oh, okay. I gave up all that shit. So, um, you know, but I, I... I... I was on both of those at one point or another i don't know if they were at the same time or not cool here's what's fun about uh concerta so concerta <laughs> for all you people out there who want to go see a shrink just so you can get uh maybe they'll handy some drugs so <laughs> there's two different categories when it comes to the add pills there's what they call the i think they're the methamphetamines and the amphetamines right there's like two different categories so ritalin and concerta are in one category and then you're like your uh your adderalls and your um uh it's like uh, cocaine stuff. No, but what I know of like Concerta and Rillin, there is zero concentration like <laughs> benefits from that shit. <laughs> but in terms of fun drugs to take, <laughs> holy shit, Keep are those things party, fun? Yeah. Like I'm just I, I you I, snort a line, you're good oh to my go, God, dude. Ritalin, <laughs> it like I remember because you know Adderall helped me get through quite a bit of shit in college I never would have gotten through otherwise, and. Uh, I wish that that shit was still helpful. It's not. It just doesn't help me out. And I had to take it in high doses. And I, I, it, it's funny that once a doctor diagnoses you a drug, it's just not fun anymore. <laughs> but I can tell you that at least, like, there was some sort of medicinal benefit to Adderall. Concerta and Ritalin is just the better version of, uh, of cocaine. Like, actually, if you have Ritalin, hit me up. Let's fucking hang out. <laughs> I haven't gotten my hands on that shit in a long time. I've never done cocaine. I'm not an. You upper. never done coke. Your whole no, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, nor Adderall, nor Ritalin. Um, I was just on Concerta for a brief like, period of time. Concerta, Concerta and Ritalin are sister drugs. I almost feel like Concerta might just be the slow-released like version of Ritalin. Oh, okay. I could be wrong on that because I don't know. What the fuck do it. I know? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I like I. It, it didn't. It never really helped me concentrate or do anything, which is why I just kind of let it go. It, it just, you know, I, I didn't. I'm, I'm always going. Right. And so it's like I need something to slow me down. So wine helps. Yeah. That's yeah, my drug no, choice. I get that 100%. Yeah. I, I, the, the first time I, I did Coke, people make such a big stink out of Coke. Coke is fun in the sense it's very, it, it's like sociable and deviant. That's what makes <laughs> cocaine fun. Cocaine's fun because you kind of got to go to the corner, you got to go into a bathroom, there's a ritual to it, <laughs> you do it. And, but it, firstly, it's the most shameful thing because right away you're like, there was no reason to do that. And then I'm like you, I got ADD, so I take it, I'm like, oh great, I can study now? Like, right, what, right. what was the point of this? Where I'm the same way. Drinking, that, that's kind of the way to go. But now, so let's move on from this topic. But okay. certifiably, you will say, as a person who's worked on campuses, there isn't a leftist agenda. Hell most, yeah. Most of the professors lean left. Hell yeah. I mean, even increasingly in what you would consider STEM departments. You know, like... Uh, the departments that it makes no sense for you to have any sort of <laughs> exactly. philosophy on these topics you whatsoever. Can, you can look into the journals and there's like, you know, feminist biology and feminist mathematics and transgender mathematics and sh- shit like that. It was like, <laughs> like what, what does that even mean? You know, how does that, like d- gender bender mathematics? Like, yeah. I don't know how you do that. Penis plus surgery <laughs> equals a woman. <laughs> I, guess, I guess, I don't know. <laughs> no, it never does. Because there was, what, what was his name? Uh, the Democrat dude on the second stage who said that um, men could have abortion or trans women could, tra- yeah. Chance people could have abortions. They've had a feel down that yeah. part of the problem. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. What the hell was that all about? Because what are you talking about? You know, yeah, it, it's it's. But nobody raised any kind of eyebrows to that. I mean, at least in the crowd or in on the moderator panel, it's like, oh wait, men can have abortion or trans women who are men who don't have uteruses can have abortions. Wait, but they can't have kids. But wait, it's part of the experience of becoming a lady. It's part of college now. It's part of this is part of mainstream college now. What that they teach that a that trans? There's no difference between the genders. In fact, I asked a question to my class okay. last year. Yeah. I said, "Is there a difference between men and women?" And si- dead d- so pin drop say, silence. Let's take one step back. Let's say okay. there was a dude in a room who wants to. He's creating all sorts of propaganda. And he wants to fool the culture. He wants every single person to have a misguided view. What is the benefit of this narrative? Like this, what what, what exactly does it do for? Let, let's imagine that there is a ruling class. There's a let's there's fucking lizard people. Okay, and they want to control us. <laughs> Absolutely. What is their benefit yeah. of sitting down and going? Okay, the next thing we're going to do is shame shame people into having a rational view of biology. Let's stay in that perspective. I don't want to debate whether or not that's accurate, but. We can go with the fact that whether or not gender is fluid, let's take one step back to okay. maybe soften a little bit. Let's talk about the word government. Yes. What does the word government mean? It comes Govern. from, it comes from, originally the word kubernates comes from Greek. Okay. And it means to steer, like a ship, um, literally to steer a ship. It was a, a pilot of a ship. And um, and that goes into uh, governor in, in, in Latin, which means the same thing. It's the steer of a ship. It's a person. But it means then to steer the ship of state. Right. To govern to the ship of state. And so it's hence it's called the ship of state. Where's the word meant come in? Mens. Mentis. 
it means mind, to steer the mind. So the government is to steer the mind. That's its role. That's the only role that the government has is to steer your mind. So it steers your mind to certain types of activities and things that benefit itself. Right. And that includes, like, why, why do universities get so much funding from the government? Why are student loans backed and funded by the government? Well, it's because they get to steer all of those minds. Why is K-12 through governed? So when it comes to the transgender, let's just say, agenda, what is the benefit of steering all of our well, minds towards accepting that... Division. Yes. Division. It's divi- it's it's what you saw as weird, like, you know, it used to be like a weird kid or a weird person. It's like, okay, well, you're, you're trans. Okay. That's kind of They weird. want to divide you from your own emotions. You want to divide, they want to divide you from yourself. Right. The word, okay, here's another, uh, here, I'm going to geek out on you. The word diabole in Greek means to throw apart, which means to separate or to divide. And so di- diabole means devil. It's, it's satanic. It's something satanic. It's that which divides us. So if you can get people to hate themselves for who they are as a, a white cis man, right. they, they came up with a I fucking mean, I word. I for way cis, other reasons. Cis but, yeah. man. Well, you know, for excessive sandwich consumption or whatever <laughs> may be the case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, you you know, you could hate yourself for a numer- number of reasons, but it shouldn't be for any of the reasons that they tell you you should hate right. yourself. So, you know, I mean, like, yeah, I have a certain degree of self-hatred, but it doesn't come from any government stuff. It becomes comes from the fact that I fucking drink too much and I eat right. too much, you know, yeah. that's not the government. Um, so, you know, I, I think that this is uh, this is all part of it, it's part of a strategy and it's part of it's part of that. It's 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 rooted in and intertwined in the governmental educational system, so-called educational system. I'll call it school. Remember, like 10 minutes ago when yeah. I knew I was making a point and yeah. then I forgot what the point was. Here was okay. the point. Okay. I remembered it. All right. Got it. The reason why they want us all to think that we're winners unearned is because a lot of the prosperity in this country is unearned and they don't really want us to question it. Exactly. A lot of it is just debt and the government spending debt money that they're taking on and they don't want us to question, hey, can we really have that? So it's in their best interest to let us all think we've kind of earned this sense, this feeling that we're winners. It's almost like that... Uh, you're going to have to help me out there. But didn't the Europeans have this, like, divine... Didn't they have, like, Divine that? right of kings kind of thing? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They almost want to impose that on us where we right. feel like we're, we're just naturally winners. Where if we didn't have that thing being taught to us or, you know, being propagated towards us, we might think, like, wait, where's all this money coming from? Yeah. Can we really spend all this money? You know what I mean? They don't want us to question that. Right. You're a subject, not a citizen. I mean, you know, you're not you're not a, like actually a sovereign person. Um, you're not supposed to question anything. The military industrial complex, the pharmaceutical industrial complex, like all of these industrial complexes that exist, the prison industrial complex, um, they I mean, they all exist to benefit from the naivety of the slave, the cow class, which is us, basically, where the people who are like struggling to earn a living and pay our taxes so that we don't end up in a cage and uh and then you know fund our own educations and then we become debt slaves forever so that we have to work like indefinitely and then um you know and then and then we die and <laughs> that's 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 the end of the story kids what a, ref- like, what a refreshing <laughs> perspective okay well you die in the end didn't anybody tell you <laughs> so of the classes that you teach are um 
Are any of the classes that you teach required classes? Um, Do you end up with like those level one people who have to take one some, philosophy class kind of thing? Sometimes I do. Yeah, it depends on what I teach. One yeah. of my favorite moments, I th- this was me as a college student. I did great for the first three years. <laughs> and then the subject matter became stuff that you couldn't teach yourself. Okay. And I never, I never built the skills to actually sit in class and learn in a classroom. And my way of learning kind of went to shit. And right. college really fell apart for me. The first three years, I was like st- probably straight A's, A minuses, and I maybe sat in the classroom for a total of twenty. Mi- I, I would was, love yeah. to have you in class. You would be fucking <laughs> hilarious in class. You're exactly the kind of person I want in no, class. No, I wouldn't. Have, I would not have showed up or interacted. But see, like maybe you would have. Maybe in your class, maybe I'll tell you. I got big tits, so yeah, yeah. that's true. I might have hung out and in on you. It, it, it's a possibility. <laughs> no, I found that uh, you know if I did sit in class, I didn't want to be an argumentative in a classroom setting because I would find I would then take over the class. And I didn't want to do that. It was uncomfortable. Right. So every once in a while, if I actually had a question, I'd show up during office hours and talk to a. I've even had them ask like, "Why didn't you bring this up in class?" I was like, "Well, we just had a twenty-five minute conversation about this. I didn't want to do it. In, like, I didn't want to do that." See, but that's exactly like well. That's that's the kind. Of, that's what I want. I want yeah. people in class who are gonna divert, uh, like raise alternative viewpoints, right. like get different stuff in there. And uh, I'm an annoying fucking student because I didn't do this in college, but then in professional settings where I was being taught a class where it's like a week later you're gonna be on the sales floor or you're gonna be on like a trading desk and you need to know this information. Yeah. Then I'll sit there and I am fucking annoying because I'm like <laughs> I'm actually responsible for this in a week. And I, I never really liked that, but, like, I also knew that my questions were, like, reasonable, but I never liked that in college. But anyways, going back to you as a, as a professor. I want those. I, like, I want the question. Like, right. I want the kids who will raise questions. And I will intentionally you ask. You want engaged people. I get it. Yeah, I intentionally ask provocative questions. So, like, last class, for example, um, on Wednesday, we talked about friends with benefits. Nice. Yeah. And so, I mean, how can you not have an opinion on that? Right. So especially when you're, you know, 18 to 24. How the fuck do you get away talking to kids about that? Well, I teach a class called Love and Friendship. How does that exist as a class? Oh, I didn't invent it, but I get to teach it and it's awesome. So I get, you know, we get to talk about all the intricacies of of love and friendship and from from an ancient perspective. Like we deal only with... Didn't Aristotle fuck kids though? Plato and Aristotle. Uh, No, I mean, there there was the... Okay, wait. Do I have to explain the entire institution of pederasty right now? Maybe a little bit. Okay. (laughs) I'll give you the short version. He did fuck kids. No. Not kids. Does that like, come in in love ki- and not friendship? Kids, not kids. Yeah. Like not like six year olds, right? Okay. Okay. Um, in the ancient elite Athens society, kids. Okay. Were the elite. ultimate place to put no. your penis. <laughs> I mean, like there are all sorts no. of places you could put it. Other yeah, men like, that were adults. Yeah. Melons, beautiful women. You know, slaves. But right. the prime of no, the no, cream. No, it wasn't. It was no, no. It's not like modern pedophilia at all. And I don't want. Oh, okay. I don't. I don't want to like draw a parallel to that because modern right. pedophilia is like horrendous, horrific, like everything awful. The Greeks were the... classy about it, <coughs> and they Excuse had the small me. penises. So you know. Well, they. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Pl- Plato's. Oh, Plato name, was packing Plato, heat. Plato's name means wide. Oh, really? Yeah. Plato was so, packing heat. Does maybe. he have a statue? Is there a Plato statue? I don't know. I haven't. I, I mean, I've seen the statue, but like he, I don't know. You, you never know. You never know what they actually <laughs> he look. Might have been I a just grower, fantasize about him. I, fa- I fantasize about Plato? him. Plato. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Plato's your jam. He's my, Is he a good-looking dude? 
I assume so. Oh, okay. I mean, he has to be like in my mind, he is. Right. So, okay. I, but anyway, let me let me tell you about pederasty. Yeah. Pederasty was an institution amongst the Athenian elite alone. Uh, so, so this did not extend to like the the, the middle pe- peasantry classes. They couldn't like, afford to fuck. They kids. didn't have a middle class. You had to be really yeah. rich yeah. to do that. <laughs> well, that no. was a rich man's. It game. wasn't a fuck. It wasn't a kid fucking thing. It was. Right. It was about uh, an older man taking a younger man under his wing, so to speak. And fucking him in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes yes, sometimes no. Um, if a man's going to understand philosophy, <laughs> but it would never yeah. be before. Like he he would he would usually be about I don't know, at least thirteen years of age, which was considered it's like getting an your adult. bar mitzvah <laughs> in Greek philo- in Greek culture. <laughs> you get a dick up your ass. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's the mark of being a real man. <laughs> yeah. But okay. So the point was that the older man would give the younger man an intellectual and ethical education and he would show them the ropes of being a man in Athens like how to go into the assembly how to vote how to speak in public like how to do all this stuff like really important stuff in terms of establishing your reputation because reputation was everything for the Greeks okay so you you become who you are in the public realm by speaking well which is why rhetoric man I would have done well in Greece sophistry yeah you would have um, what it was was so important because like people would spend lots of money to teach their sons how you know you know what else I would have done well I heard in colonial America calf <laughs> muscles were like their <laughs> version of abs that's why they wore like the high ass stockings oh for Dude, real look at that shit there you go is I that from been, all the biking I would have been the world's sexiest man back in that era <laughs> anyways we were talking about education <laughs> okay so, so at any rate yeah all right, so education. Yeah. This is actually kind of the room. <laughs> I'll, I'll draw a parallel in a second. Um, so, so the older man would take the younger man under his wing and give him an ethical and intellectual education to show him how to speak in public, and the younger man would, in turn, give pleasure to the older man. I, you know, nothing's free. You got to provide some value. There's a, there's a, yeah, there's a turnaround to this. So, so he, but the idea was. That did took a turn for the creepy though. Why, why couldn't, it's yeah. like, well, most people ask like, why couldn't, why couldn't the young man learn the same things from his father or his like uncle or well, something what, like that? What, is dad going to fuck him in the ass? <laughs> no, it's just weird. No, there's an erotic dimension to education. That's the point. Okay. There's, there's something about being in love that opens you up to things that you never saw before. And there are things that you'd never liked before or you never understood before that when you're in love with someone, you finally like get it or you see it through their eyes and then you get it. So I'll give you a stupid example. Well, I, to speak to your point, sometimes when a lady's banging you, <laughs> you okay. have a little more patience for things that otherwise you would have been like, no, there's n- like, like theoretically a ballet. If the world's hottest chick wanted to go to ballet, I'll sit through a ballet. Otherwise, I'm not going to give it a fucking chance. You know what I mean? Right. So along the lines of what you're saying is at least you'll give a chance to something that you otherwise wouldn't have. To kind of please the person that you love. So okay. you got a little bit of an open so eye for it. You got a bit of this. Yeah. Right? So you got, I mean, I still don't watch ballet. I'm not that's gay. That's the tip. <laughs> that's the tip. But the real, th- like, so yeah. you open yourself up to the possibility of learning. So who knows? Okay. Maybe you would have, lo- maybe you, you never would have been exposed to the ballet, but then you actually ended up really liking it. But that's what I'm saying, because you love the because, person. Exactly. Because they're then having you, sex with you, you're willing to go see it, it. Exactly. Yes. So there's things that you're willing to learn because... So Aristotle opened up these little boys to his philosophy or, or, by fucking them in the ass. <laughs> 
<laughs> it sounds so bad. It sounds so bad. And it's not it's yeah. not as crass as that, but the whole institution It was of a different culture. Well, no, it's not just that. It's 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 that. And that's why the we church is still doing appre- it. We don't appreciate no, we don't appreciate Eros anymore. Right. Well, I don't even know what Eros is. Eros, okay, sorry. Eros, uh, Eros I've heard, is uh, the, I've heard what's his name the Greek throw word. it out there. Uh but oh my god, I'm forgetting his name right now. They uh we have him on part of the problem every once in a while. Really funny dude. Owen Benjamin. I've heard him throw out that word oh, while talking about how the I Jews want to are talk ruining about the him word. In a minute. We can get into Owen Benjamin. I like Owen, but anyways Yeah, well he needs to talk to Dave. He was on the show recently. Yeah, well, he needs to talk to Dave seriously because he has okay. been slamming libertarianism hardcore uh, really? on his recent podcast, me his and recent Dave, streams. Me and Dave had a joke where he was like trashing Jews and we're yeah. like, we're laughing it off. And then he started talking about the free markets and we're like, well, then fuck Owen. <laughs> <laughs> now he's made it personal. That's about right. By the way, all right. Uh, explain no. to us Eros and okay. how fucking kids can boost no. <laughs> their Eros. Because okay. otherwise, fucking I, I wasn't kid, even thinking fucking, about fucking, fucking kids. Fucking but. kids does not boost your Eros. Oh, okay. Uh, 13 year olds weren't kids back then. Ah, they were full. Oh, that's because you only lived like 20, well, 20 at most. Your life expectancy was pretty low. You're a middle aged man at 13. Well, <laughs> it's almost weird that you made it to that age without taking him in the pooper. No. <laughs> Not quite that to, to the extreme, but. Um, you know, no, it, it, I mean, it was, it was about like being, it was about being in love. It was about like finding a lover and lovers can open you up to stuff. Like the whole idea is that lovers can open you up to stuff. You like, if your dad tells you something and your dad says like, you should do this thing. You're like, oh, fuck you, dad. You know, you know, you're an old man. What do you know? But if you're in love with somebody who's older than you and, and like strategically the pederastic relationship was structured that an older man and a younger man would be in this relationship your lover tells you to do something you're like oh okay all right like i like i want i want a little something something later on you know so you like you're gonna do it so these boys liked it that's what i'm taking from this yeah like it was it was a consensual right thing and they're like in our world they're boys in that world they were young men they were you know the kind of men who would go off to war so and if you can die you can fuck aristotle exactly (laughs) but now Going back to the initial oh, question. So you do teach um, like level 101 courses that people... I do teach some of those and I do teach higher level courses as well. Yeah. One of my favorite moments in a level 101 course, it was like a nutrition class. And I don't know why I was even there that day, but for some reason I probably hadn't gone four times in a row and I was like, I better just check in and see what's going on in this class. And I'm sitting Jeez. in the class and I don't know what I was doing. I, I wasn't paying any attention, but I'm sitting there. And at some point, the teacher had a breakdown, literally, a full-fledged breakdown where she just turned it real and looked at the class and goes, why do none of you give a shit about this topic? <laughs> and, That's awesome. And we all just like looked at her and she's like, no, 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 I really want to know. I'm a human being. I have to show up to every single class and I want to know why is it that none of you give a fuck? And then it became an honest discussion about yeah. why no one gave a fuck. Yeah. And the general theme was, this is a required course. None of us, not only do none of us really care about nutrition, but if it was nutrition about, hey, what should your diet look like? That would be informative. This is basically a biology class. Right. We took biology in high school. Most of us are here for finance degrees. This information is useless to us. We're only here because the college said we have to take this class. Right. And that was heartbreaking for this lady to hear, but she asked for it. Have you confronted that in the level 101 class where it's like people are required to take it and so they have close to zero interest 
and like how do you kind of navigate because i've been in front of audiences that don't like me right oh, but at I least i only you. have to do it for 15 minutes once at a time yeah and i get to tell them to go fuck themselves and leave like that's kind of you don't you don't get to do that no i don't I like because i have them all for a whole semester that's right yeah <laughs> i have them for three three and a half months or something like that and i work that audience like I will bring in the most provocative things possible. And it's so funny. The one time I was teaching Bastiat's The Law. Okay. I don't know who Bastiat is. Or Bastiat yeah. is, oh my God, as a libertarian, dude, you need to read Bastiat's The Law. He's okay. like one of the core Mises Institute. Go on. It's free. Um, the first 25 pages are the most important, I would say. Okay. And so I had my students like read that portion. And, and, and then I would say like, well, why are there laws why are there laws regarding who can get married and who can have sex with who and like whether or not you can sell your body for sex and and why can't why can't you eat a dead person if they die like and they want you to you know like cannibalism you know that kind of thing and so i just threw out like a bunch of stuff and the whole class was like i'm like i just raised a whole like all of the most controversial possible things you should all be jumping at this like sharks with chum in the water and they were dead and i'm like tell me why you're so dead right now right and they're like are like is it that you're not interested and they're like no we're afraid to talk they're afraid yeah right. they're absolutely afraid so i don't do boring shit in my classes right. it's that they're afraid to be that guy or that gal they're or afraid that to have an opinion to stand out and to say, like, this is what I think. But what I've learned how to do is to be, I'm the weirdo in the classroom now. I'll throw out shit like, we didn't land on the moon. I don't think there's nuclear weapons. Like, I'll say... Just like, to get an just, argument going. Just, yeah, just yeah. random shit. And then they'll be like, well, wait, 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 what about that? And then then they get some, it draws them out. Right. And so I'll you get just, them engaged. I'll drop, I'll drop hard, weird stuff. Okay. So I want to take a look at some of the courses that you teach okay and we've already like leaned on this but how does love sex and friendship exist on a college camp how does that how is that a class well, i mean how do they have kids in a classroom talking to adult like i just feel like in what i see as being pc culture you wouldn't have 19 year olds having a discussion about like what does that look like love love and friend love sex and friendship in the ancient world um is not about i mean it's it's not about what you think it is it's not about whacking off. I mean, we do talk about whacking off sometimes, but <laughs> well, how does that topic start? Because well, somebody will yeah. inevitably bring it up, or I'll inevitably bring it up. I'm like, don't whack off. All right, just you mean like in class. Save, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, like, save your jizz for right. a girl. Save your jizz for a girl. You'll Seriously. say that in class. Yeah. You'll be like, oh, I'll say that like out loud in class. Save your jizz for a girl. And you don't get fired for saying that. Not yet. I feel like that's pretty filthy. It's pretty, like, it's pretty much, um... Do you ever go look at one guy go, except got, for you, wait, you're not getting laid. Wait, wait, You I, shouldn't, there's no reason <laughs> to save it. You should be jerking off every night so you I, don't murder the rest of us. I got fired for saying that the state shouldn't steal from people. Right. But I never got fired for saying you shouldn't, like, whack off and you should save your jizz for a chick. Okay, what is this philosophy of save your jizz for a girl? Because <laughs> I'm not living that one at all, so yeah, educate it. us. Um, well, you know Gavin McInnes? Yes. All right. A little bit. He he has the same kind of philosophy. Like, if you're going to... You should hit on a chick at least five times a day or something five like that. To, that sounds exhausting. I know, I know. That's exactly why you should be home jerking off. <laughs> I, I, maybe, maybe I got that, that number wrong, but I think it's somewhere around five times a day. And I'm like, that's exactly right. Most guys are not hitting on me 
Like, why am I single? Okay. Most guys are not hitting on me. Because they're jerking Because they're walking off. And right. they're like, hey, I don't need to. I got knuckle babies in the dream. Right. You know, and that's it. That was in the... Uh, the uh, rabbinic literature I read as a kid, Maimonides talked about that quite a bit, that it's your life's force and it exhausts you of your energy. Yes. And uh, I will say that while I don't practice that in any fashion, <laughs> there's a lot of accuracy to the fact that the motivation that you will have and the energy that you can have if you're walking around with a full bag is different than when you... Now, the flip side of that is that sometimes you'll chase down bad leads and find yourself exhausted or doing drugs that you otherwise wouldn't have done out till four in the morning when you otherwise wouldn't have. So there's a little bit of a balancing act there where it's like, sometimes there's the opposite where it's like, well, I have this report due at the end of the week and I don't want to leave my apartment. So I'm going to jerk off a whole bunch. So I can stay here and read this shit and get this stuff done. And there's can be a clear headed to having an empty ball bag. Um, <laughs> well, I wrote this down as a joke premise oh, like years ago and I never did this joke, but yeah. I, the the nice thing about a full ball bag is like there's people that you would never hit on, but if you haven't jerked off in a week, your ball bag would be like, no, no, you got this, bro. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so like in your ear, like no, nah, like 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 when you're clear headed, you're like, I don't have a chance. But if you haven't jerked off in three days, like no, no, you got this is you, man. You right. got, you fucking got this. Well, and that's 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 the boldness that you need. Yeah. And millennials lack that typically. Okay. I think, um, McGinnis just did a like a thing I mean it was like a year or two ago already on um, why millennials aren't having sex it's because they don't have any jizz left you know they don't have a full ball like the gr- the job of a girlfriend is empty balls full stomach there you go that's the job of a girlfriend okay so you need to find one of those right but you don't jerk off till you do okay and you teach us in class <laughs> Yeah, actually. <laughs> Do you actually like draw a diagram? Okay, <laughs> this is a sandwich, and here's the chick who will make it for you. Now, here's a diagram of you jerking off at home. Well, now, you jerking off at home is keeping you from finding this chick who will make you the sandwiches. It's not, it's not coincidence that in virtually every war that has ever been propagated, yeah. um, like smut has been peddled in first hand, like, like uh, over the airwaves. To rewire men's brains so that they jerk off and they don't have any strength to fight back. So oh, the enemy is that true? The yes. enemy will try and get smut to the. So the United States is really good at this. They they funnel smut into well, enemy even, countries. What's interesting? Even uh, Osama bin Laden was found with porn. Exactly. So you're saying it that, weakens them. Uh, that's that's a fucking crazy. What can you tell me more evidence of that? Because that's fascinating. Well, I'm not a psychologist, so I'm not going to speak scientifically about this. But, no, I don't need to hear the science. I'm, but I'm it does re- the it does rewire of, it does yeah. rewire the male brain because if you if you focus on other people having sex and then you jerk off to that and you unload yourself, you basically unload. It's like Samson cutting off his hair. Okay, like he unloads himself as all of all the the energy that he had right. to fight. And and when you do that, like you're basically a sitting duck. So you feed porn into a country and you make them dependent upon it. Why is porn universal and free here? So that we become domestic sheeple. Okay. Now tax I, cows. I, I don't argue with anything that you've said. Um, and I'm an expert on this topic because yes. who's jerked off more than me? So <laughs> you know, lack of energy, sure. But anyways. <laughs> Where have you seen, though, that, like, the United States will actually try and get porn or smut into the material of enemies to, we- like, do you have any examples of that? 
I I could dig the, I, I at the my fingertips. I don't. I have my computer here. Okay, um, we're gonna but, uh, that that that's yeah. fascinating. But to I can me, so. I can I can produce some for you if you want. Okay, so the first thing that you try and teach college freshmen is, hey guys, <laughs> don't stop jerking off. <laughs> stop jerking off. Actually, find yourself a girlfriend. They'll make you sandwiches. They'll drain your balls, and you have some motivation to actually be fruitful and multiply. Don't be fruity and blow a guy. <laughs> is that like a bumper sticker you have on your car? No, no I, sorry, I stole that from Owen Benjamin, actually. Be fruitful uh, and <laughs> multiply. What was it? No, I stole that from Owen. I was, don't <laughs> be fruitful and multiply. Right. Don't be fruity and blow a guy. Okay, there you go. That, that's a good one. <laughs> that's Owen. Okay, the other one that this is fascinating to me, and I'd like to get the broad strokes of this, and I know how much of a dick this kind of makes me to be like, hey, I don't need a whole semester on this just give me in five minutes okay. i get that but the philosophical foundations of mysticism oh geez now when you say mysticism are you referring to jewish mysticism no oh okay i'm re- i'm referring to neoplatonic mysticism which is what um after okay the platonic academy carried on for like a thousand almost a thousand years and then after plato's academy kind of um withered out i mean there were there were the the neoplatonic people and so plotinus okay in the uh wait what century was he for third fourth century uh, ad um he talked about you know the one and the beautiful and the good and and uh, and god and everything like that and so it was a mystical transformation and it was it was said that plotinus had um elevate like uh levitated okay four times during his lifetime do you believe that yes okay. but i don't think it's like physical levitation that they mean i think it means a kind of spiritual levitation that he ascended to the place of god and and came down and i believe that there are other philosophers who've done the same including saint augustine and saint thomas aquinas saint thomas aquinas had a mystical event after which he never spoke again like he like after that event he said everything i've i've done has is straw he said it's straw i mean he the guy wrote like a, an entire library of like brilliant stuff and he said it's all straw but he would never speak again because like everything he saw in the mystical realm was just like so now how do these people enter what they're labeling labeling as the mystical realm was that a drug experience was it um an actual god prophecy type occurrence was it meditation what do you see as being it's a yeah. spiritual devotion okay and a purification right like it's it's a it's a process of spiritual pur- purification yeah which doesn't have to do with um any kind of like drug intake or anything it's just it's a pre- it's a spiritual preparation for that which is higher and saint albert the great does like a really good job of explaining pseudo Dionysius's uh, mystical theology which is this ascendancy of you know you you start with the rational and you start with like the things that you can you can you can say like this is like this is wood you know this is good and then you say like okay this is brown um and you say th- certain things about things and then you proceed beyond that and you elevate your mind to a higher plane and then you say well okay so god is good okay and so you affirm that of god and and you say that god is one you say that god is beautiful you say that god is all of these different things and then you have to push your mind to the next level and then you say god is not good switch mics is that better yeah okay um god is not good 
Well, God, that sounds terrible, right? But what they mean is God is not good in the sense that we mean human good. He's so good that he's like like a hyperbolic kind of good. He's good in the way that God, like God is like good beyond good. So to attribute human good to him is to demean him in a certain way. All right, well, we can get into that for one second before we so get back to the... Mysticism uh, is about. Um, so do you believe in God? Oh, of course, yes. Okay, so, and I know that one of the classes or your expertise is proof of proof of gods and also that you're a fan of i think the name was saint augustine saint augustine yeah saint i just pronounced it wrong but i basically had it right okay it's like the it's not like the city in florida it's like it's like (laughs) (laughs) so person i'm guessing that there must be some sort of a personal reason why you believe in god and then there's also probably some proofs that you've read that you kind of use as support but it probably comes more from a personal perspective of course so I guess let, let's go. First question is, what is it that you see in the world that you go, hey, I think there's a God here? And then in in practice, what does that actually mean to you? Like, what is your responsibility to God? How does that change your behavior? Like, do you think there's an afterlife? Like, just kind of unpackage us. Firstly, what you see, what, you, what in your own perspective goes, hey, I think there's a God here. B, what are the proofs of that? C, in practical, per, in practical you know, explanations, what does that actually change about your behavior? Okay. Um what in the world everything in the world says there's a god here okay. first of all the fact that you have an eyeball like, well, that's the uh that's the it's not creation evolution. by design no no it's not evolution because yeah. there's entropy right they told us that there's entropy which is a it's a tendency of a system towards yeah. disorder so why would there be increasing order in a system why would there be increasing why would why would some like protoplasmic little like amoeba type piece of shit grow into the complexity What's of the, I've never I, I've actually never heard this before. What do you, what is proof of entropy in the universe? Well, the it's like the I forget if it's the second or thir- third law of thermodynamics or something like that. Okay. That there's it's a tendency of a system towards disorder. So, for in fact, like my office progressively gets dustier. Okay. My 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 food progressively gets moldier. Right. Um like if I don't Things do an, if I don't down. do anything at yeah. all, like it, everything breaks down. Okay. So why would, why would... So in other words, the question is, why would evolution exist exactly. when if we take a step back, we see that the actual natural state of the universe is more towards entropy than it is towards evolution? Yeah. I, I mean, you, you could say like, oh, well, there's like sexual selection. Wait, but, but it doesn't explain like there was a lightning bolt and some kind of like amino acids were jolted into life or something like that. Like that's bullshit. And then it created something as complex as... A human being. Now, let me ask you. Uh, let's take one step back from there. Isn't that a weaker argument to the um, nothing? Nothing happens into existence. There's nothing that like nothing takes form, or nothing not, like nothing takes form without being acted upon. So if you look all the way back, there had to have been some sort of a something to initiate the reaction. That's the which is what the big argument. boom is. Now, right. isn't so to me? I'm just saying if you're looking at proofs of gods, a proof of God arguments. That is a better argument than the one you're making of... Well, yes. no, it's the same one. Okay. Yeah, because it's the cosmological argument. Right. It's the idea that everything has a cause. Right. And there has to be a first cause. Right. There if you look all the way back... A cause of all yes. causes. Yes. So that's the cosmological argument, and... You but can, doesn't that essentially lead you to just, hey, there's something beyond our comprehension... But then you have to somehow fill the gap from, okay, I know that there's something beyond our comprehension of what I'm seeing to, hey, there's a God. Well, okay, 
we call that God. Right. All right. So it's a, there's something beyond our comprehension okay. that made us and that seems to like take care of us. But even and, made us is an assumption because it could be, let's say they're like, we're in, um, I'm trying to think how to best explain this. We're like, we're in, in, we're in dimension X. In a bubble universe let's where just there's say, like an infinite number of parallel universes. No, let's not even say that. Okay. We're in dimension X. And what we can extrapolate from being in dimension X is that nothing, nothing randomly comes into existence. So there must have been an initial cause that initiated dimension X. But now that we can say, hey, I know that there's dimension Y and Z that must have in somehow created dimension X... Who's to say that Dimension X isn't an accident from something that happened in Dimension Y or Z? It's possible, but I mean, for for an ultimate cause to not like have any kind of connection to its extensive, like even unintended causes. This is what bothers me about economists. Okay, like stupid economists who say oh, well, we implemented this program and it's like, well, it had unintended consequences. It's like, well, if you just were able to see just a little beyond the horizon, you would have known that it's exactly what was going to happen. You know, like welfare. Um, it's like, well, we, we intended to help these people. And it's like, well, we broke up the black family and, you know, yada, yada, all this like bad stuff happened. Well, if you had had a slight bit of insight into human nature and incentives, you would have known exactly what was going to happen. So... So I don't I don't believe that there's any like unintended consequences anywhere. I mean, only in the short term human stupid realm. Right. Is there unintended consequences? Like I mean and and I think they are intended too, by the way. So okay, so then let's go with your perspective. So there's something beyond our comprehension. Is yeah. that a singular god? Is that another realm? You know, I is don't... there a thing that we have a responsibility to? Did he come here and give us wisdom through prophets that might be Christianity, religion, or Islam? Like, what what does that then mean if you go, I know that there's something above my comprehension and there's this other realm. Is there a responsibility to a single entity or what, what to you is that like? That's a matter yeah. of faith. Okay. I mean, and to me, like, I am a Christian. Right. So, like, I am a faithful Christian. And so I do believe that, like, there is a God and that there is you know, that Christ is the savior and that he does provide a model of human behavior. So like, what are you supposed to do? Well, you're supposed to pick up the heaviest responsibility that you can possibly fucking carry and carry it towards your death. And that's what makes the world a better place. Okay. So you can extrapolate based on, you said it was the Cosmo, Cosmo argument. Can I just say Cosmo? Cosmological. Yeah. I I got, I got a problem with some words. Um, The Cosmo argument would be very different. (laughs) Well, yeah, I guess it would. (laughs) Okay. So based on the... shallow chicks. Exactly. So based on the Cosmo argument, you'll take a step back and go, I can deduce that there's something above my reality. Then from there, you'll take Christianity based on faith. Now, why will you take Christianity based on faith? Like, in other words, like I can tell you, okay, I've looked at everything and I need a car to get to work. Yeah. But, all right, you need a car. You don't need a Camry. So why do you take Christian, like, why do you, like, to you, firstly, why do you take Christianity on faith and why to you is faith even a valid argument for why you should do something? Like, what value does faith have in logical reasoning? Um, It makes sense. Like, that's the weird thing, I think, is that faith makes sense. And St. Augustine said this really famous quote, I forget exactly where it was, but he said, 
and I might get this wrong. I'm, yeah. paraf- I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, believe so that you may understand, understand so that you may believe. So it's a intertwining of faith and reason. And so Isn't that a circular argument though. No, it's not. There, there's okay. Not all circles are vicious circles. Okay. So sometimes you can learn something from a circular argument. All right. Um, so there is a vicious circle, but there's this is not a vicious circle. This is a virtuous circle. So you can learn. But that's s- an appeal to authority. It's not necessarily. So you can You're understand. So, but, okay, wait, just to, uh, uh, firstly, I'm kind of playing devil's advocate here. Sure. But I'm of saying course. from a from from a purely logical perspective, we're. You are a circular argument, but you're saying that this circular argument is okay because it's a virtuous circle, but that's an appeal to authority. That's it's not, not an appeal. Yeah. It's not an appeal to authority. Okay. It's it's, it's an appeal to um, establish wisdom, which I mean, you could say is an appeal to authority, but but there's there's an appeal to authority is usually a logical fallacy that's reliant upon a single individual who articulates an idea in a certain way, and if you have an entire like if you have an entire uh, tradition of established, let's say all the scientists agree that, that two atoms of um, hydrogen and one atom of uh, oxygen creates water. Like, and, and they've agreed that this is the case. It's like, you're not, you're no longer appealing to authority. You're appealing to an established tradition of But that's based off of, of physical evidence. It, that's, that's physical evidence, but there's, there's, there's an analogy. There's an analogical dimension to, um, philosophy. So, for example, you have Saint Augustine, who is he say he's saying like you have to if you're okay if you're in an art museum and you're looking at a particular painting, if you stand two inches from that painting, you're not going to be able to see it. Okay. If you stand a thousand feet away from that painting, you're not going to be able to see it. So, where you stand matters. That's what faith is. So you have to take a stand. That's taking a stand is to, in a sense, understand something. You stand under something. You stand in a certain place, so that you can see it in the right way. So you take a particular stance in that faith tradition, and it it is it is it is a matter of existential commitment. It is something that you have to surrender yourself to. It's like sex. You surrender yourself to it. You you let yourself go to it, you know, and it's like it's it you give yourself over to that experience and you allow yourself to be transported okay. into that well, experience. Well, let me just for the sake of argument. Okay, I understand why I would say, hey man, I'm gonna commit myself to being taken over by sex, and that's because at the end of it, I come and it feels really good and it's fun. Yeah. So there's it's not really a whole lot of leap of faith. If anything, it's a very short-sighted thing where it's like, well, at the end of, and, and then there's also the biological perspective where you can go the reason why it feels good is because you're supposed to procreate and so it's kind of been wired into us that this is a thing of procreation. And then you could also say that there's a, a highly validating feeling of that someone will basically say yes to you, which plays into the biology of hey, I'm capable of procreating. Did you ever come in your head? What do you mean? I don't even know what that means. Have like, like, okay, the same sensation when you ejaculate. Yeah. Did you ever have that inside your mind? So I've had, I'm going to go with the word from, I think it was the guy from the seven habits of highly effective people. Yeah. I've had what I would describe as a paradigm shift where I've read something that was like, it was a thrill to read because it was logic that I'd never considered before in my entire life. And it shifted my entire perspective. And I would describe that as being intellectually stimulating 
And that when I've had those moments where something was intellectually stimulating, that to me could be as joyous as good sexual intercourse. Now, there are a lot of things to me that actually are as joyous as sexual intercourse. And it usually means that there's some sort of a chemical reaction in my brain <laughs> of something going, hey, this feels re-. like there are a lot of things that are a real thrill to me. I'm not like uh, actually for me, I'll, I'll just tell you, everyone kind of chases highs. Everyone does. Sure, of course. We're all chasing high. Absolutely. For me, the high that I chase more than anything is I love when I'm involved in a creative project and it's completely all consuming to the point that I feel like exactly. I'm a man on a mission and it's like not that God tasked me with a cause, but I feel like I'm a man on a mission and I got to complete this thing and I'm completely engaged in one task and it's a complete thrill to see it through to the end. That's the high that I chase more than anything. Work, but, work is a high, yes. For me, yes. not for everybody. And also- well, I think for most people it is. I, I, I hope, well, the work that I'm paid for is definitely not a high, <laughs> but the work that I strive <laughs> to be paid for can definitely be a high. But that to me has a- um, a reward that is a little bit more instinctual than faith, which you have to take on faith. Does does that make sense at all? The faith is work. Okay. I mean, like in the mystical tradition, you don't just like you don't just happen upon faith. It's not like you just like trip upon it like a rock or something like that. You have to go through a very rigorous but now, process. Okay, let me say it differently. Then we're making a different. We're, we're actually making a different argument here that you have found that your inve- your investment in faith has reaped rewards to you that are very satisfying and so the investment in faith is worthwhile because the rewards are satisfying exactly. but that's different than saying hey i'm going to take something based off of faith well cuz you're actually okay. saying that even like as a theoretical yeah. let's say sex is meaningless you could also say my faith is actually meaningless but i find it rewarding and so therefore i would tell you faith is worthwhile because it's rewarding that's a different argument than hey i think you should just do it because i think it's faith you understand there's that like there's a difference between well there's 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 stupid faith there's blind faith right and there's smart faith you know and so if like if you do something just because your dumb friend tells you to do it, it, it like you're you're a retard you're a full-blown retarded okay um so like people who believe in god because they've just been hammered in their head since they were little kids like oh that god exists i, I mean blind faith doesn't mean anything like none of that means anything I love the band Blind Faith, by the way. <laughs> love it. Love. The only, that was a Clapton and uh, um, um, Steve, Stevie Steve, Winwood. Yeah. yeah. They only put out, I think, one album. I don't give a Can't shit. Can't Find My it Way Home is best. a great song. It was the best fucking song ever. Can't Find My Way We're Home? We're going to play that later. Okay. I got no yeah. objections that's to Can't my, Find My that's Way Home. perhaps my favorite song. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Also, you know what song I love off? The, no, it's not. I, I love that song, John Peppercorn Must, Must Die. You ever hear that song? But that's just a Steve Winwood song. That's from no, Steve thought, Winwood Traffic. I, okay. That's not from uh, Blind oh, I, Faith. I heard, I, I, yeah, no, I like that one too. Yeah, no, I, I know what you, what you mean. Can I tell yeah. you an interesting Blind Faith story? Please do. Was, so Cream fell apart and Clapton, what Clapton did really well in his career right. was he had a brand name and he kept matching himself up with super musicians yeah. so that he could kind of like tap into their creative talents and the fact that he was who he was. And keep putting out great music. So he did that with Dwayne Allman. He did that with, yep. uh, I assume with Cream. I don't know the origins of Cream. But then he also did that with Steve Winwood. I think Steve... Well, Jeff Beck was in uh, Cream as well, right? 
I don't was think. He? Well, Jeff Beck goes back to, I believe, pre Zeppelin in the Yardbirds, but I could be wrong yeah, on that also. Um, Jeff Beck is unbelievable. Yeah, I know. But, anyways, going back to when Cream fell apart, uh, Clapton formed the new band with Steve Winwood, which was going to be uh, Blind Faith. Right. Put out a great album. He said, Ginger Baker came up to him and said, I want to be in this new band. Clapton felt too guilty to say no. But then he also knew the second he said yes, the band wasn't going to work. Oh, damn. Do you ever watch, do you watch that uh, documentary on Ginger Baker? No, I never did. Oh, it's worthwhile. That, it, he's a crazy mother. Like, when I say crazy, like, I don't actually mean in the good way crazy. I mean, he's, like, <laughs> legit, like, not cool crazy. Okay. <laughs> I'll look okay. it up. <laughs> but now we're getting distracted from what we were trying to talk about is, is faith a good reason to right. hold yourself to like is or or can God even hold you responsible for okay. a certain course of behavior based off of faith? Well, bl- blind faith. Okay, let's talk. Uh, most people think of faith as blind, right? And that's stupid because if you believe in something for no reason, you're a retard. Okay. Um, and and so so what's your reason for having faith in Christianity and Jesus as being a prophet? Well. Uh, the existence of the eyeball, for example, you know, it, based on the fact that we observe entropy all around us, the fact that there's but that but aren't we back to this circular of no, that creates no a, there's yeah. there's some there's something at work like there's okay. something there's something at work there's something that creates order in chaos. So how do we go from something at work to Jesus as being a representative of the thing? Okay, at work? well specifically, if you want to like, I was I was going to be like Genesis rooted. You know, um, I mean, I love Genesis. Like, Genesis is unbelievable. And St. Augustine does, like, three amazing commentaries on Genesis, which, one of which I teach in my classes, which, (laughs) shameless uh, plug there. Shameless plug? Yep. Um, But anyway, uh, yeah, so. That beer's delicious, by the way. I'm glad. Good pickup. (laughs) Um, So, you wanted me to explain, wait, wait, what was I supposed to explain? Um the existence of God based on faith from well you look at reality you look at all the organization of the cosmos you look at the human eyeball you look at everything else and you trace back it's a it's a trace tracing of causation and I know that causation is a delicate issue but there's two different types of causation there's univocal causation and there's equivocal causation so univocal causation is something that causes something that's like itself. So you could say um, if you hit a billiard ball on a pool table, it causes motion in another billiard ball. And so like causes like. Okay. Um, whereas something like an equivocal cause causes something that's not like itself. So if you rub your two hands together you um you create heat which well you create friction which creates heat which friction isn't the same thing as heat so therefore you're creating something that's not like itself so therefore you have an equivocal cause so god is both an equivocal cause and a univocal cause in the universe and if you can if you can like elevate your mind to that level where you like say okay well even if it's in interdimensional and even if it's multi-universal you know it doesn't matter it doesn't make a difference how many universes there are it doesn't make a difference so let me ask you this do you think like in in your opinion of god jesus christianity yeah 
do you think that if you're born with God, Jesus, Christianity, and you're told, hey, Christianity tells you that you're supposed to behave in X way, does God punish you? Is there an afterlife where you're punished for not behaving in that way? I, f- I would find that really hard to believe. Now, isn't that doesn't that go against the concept of faith? No. That's not something that you would take on faith? No, because um, Eriugena, who's a well-renowned medieval philosopher, yeah. a Christian philosopher, says there's no such thing as hell. I mean, but St. Augustine, Augustine says there's a different understanding of hell. Okay. You choose, you choose hell. If you want to be there, if you want to be married to this world, if you want to be married to this body, you want to be married to everything that like this body contains, which is all the pains and pleasures of, of the universe, then it's your choice. And you can have that. You can have that for as long as you want. That's right. exactly what, what it is that constitutes the human condition. Um, wanting not this is what elevates you. Interesting. So I, I played devil's advocate for a while. Now to kind of speak to what you were saying, and this took me a while to learn, but I, I mean, I grew up very Orthodox religious. I don't practice that anymore. Uh, but the concept of doing things based off of faith at one point didn't really make sense to me. I don't, I, I, like I literally, from a logical perspective, I couldn't understand, well, why, you know, there's nothing else in my life. I, like if I worked in an office and someone said, hey, the boss wants you to do, well, I kind of want to hear from the boss. You know what? Just the idea of like doing something based off of faith didn't make a lot of sense to me. What kind of changed my perspective was I was reading. You ever read uh, Robert Greene's book, The Forty Eight Laws of Power? I have not. Really good book. Okay. To kind of tell you my opinion, firstly, that book is really interesting. I would say what it does well is, firstly, it outlines other people's manipulative behavior, so you can have a better understanding of what you're up against in other people. It's also, to me. It's a self-help book written in a kind of uh, humorous way as if if you were a psychopath, <laughs> here are some ways that you could kind of be manipulative towards other people. Okay. Now, I don't think, I didn't read it like going, hey, I'm taking this all as like things that I'm going to go start doing, but it, it there are some truths in there, there's some empowering ideas, and I think it's written in almost a humorous bend as if you were a psychopath without any concern or care for other people right Right. anyways upon reading that book (laughs) he kind of does lay out a certain philosophy of life the life is the pursuit of power and that anybody who's not approaching it in that way is lying to themselves or holding on to other things as being a good ideal of life because they're actually weak and they can't they can't really accumulate power I don't agree with any of this. You're making faces at me. I don't agree with any of this. <laughs> but he lays out that you could see life as being a pursuit of power, and anybody who doesn't see it that way or even holds on to the idea of being charitable, that's an extension of low self-esteem, that the reason why you want to be charitable is because you can't actually attain power, so you're going to take this lesser thing and say, this is what's important to me. Let me finish my thought before you freak out at me. I don't agree with any of this. But the reason why I don't agree with that is not because logically I can look at the world and say, hey, the ultimate thrill here is attaining power and there's nothing to life outside of thrills. For some reason, I have a belief in goodness. But when I say goodness, I mean uh, some sort of a karma, some sort of a being nice to other people. But the important word there is it's a belief. I can't logically prove to you that while you're here, you should be good towards other people. I can't prove that to you. It could very well be, if there's nothing beyond this world, it could very well be that 
there's nothing that will benefit you more than pursuing power, being in power, having a lot of kids, and putting them in a situation where they can rule over other people. I can't prove that to you outside of the fact that for some reason, I believe in this concept of goodness. Okay. Now, once I can look at you and say, hey, my actual view on the world is not based on logic. It's viewed based off of belief. There isn't much of a reach from belief in goodness to belief in religion. All right, stop now. Yeah. <laughs> what, that was all nonsense? No, no, no. Yeah, okay. No, I want you to remind me of two things. Yes. Nietzsche and... Uh, fuck, I forgot the other <laughs> Philosophers? Why did I... Did no, I... no. Um, yeah. No, like what you're what you're basically saying is like Nietzsche's philosophy. Okay. Um, oh, oh, the market. The market is the other thing. Okay. Because your 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 shit won't sell on the market. Um, but we should have done this more sober. But okay. <laughs> no, you're right. You're you're totally right. But okay. So Nietzsche is the will to power. It's like I can I can overtake any man. I can dominate anybody. I can overcome. I will smash, I will crush, I will, you know, that's this Nietzschean idea of like the will to power. It's Thrasymachus from the Republic. The idea that the stronger will win. Right. That's not actually true. I mean, and it's been proved like throughout history to be not actually true. It's not always just the strongest who win. It's not just the most powerful, the most devious, the most, and, and Jordan Peterson makes actually a great point about this when it comes to chimp culture. He says, when you look at like uh, a chimp, little tiny civilization, like the meanest, nastiest, like rudest chimp who takes over and like tyrannizes everybody else. Like the moment he does that, like the two beta chimps who are there, like they're going to fucking like the moment he gets drunk on bananas, you know, they're going to like, tear him to shreds so even in non-human societies like tyranny isn't a good solution to anything so um so that but then wait what was the other thing i was oh nietzsche the will to power so the will to power why is it nietzsche not nietzsche i always thought it was funny i I haven't read it it doesn't rhyme with peachy (laughs) it rhymes it's it's just the way that the Germans Nietzsche Nietzsche okay yeah it's so Nietzsche. if you say Nietzsche you're just showing off how uneducated you are yeah you're okay. just peachy <laughs> <laughs> it's Nietzsche all right Nietzsche okay yeah. and so he you know he actually was really a great diagnostician of of human beings because he said like the human beings suffer from this will to power and they suffer from resentment. And this is the great diagnosis of the modern age. Like this right. is something that you, like you and everybody else should know. He said, he warned us of the fact that there was going to be SJWs. He said that there are going to be people who rise up, who will criticize the strong, the Before powerful. Just talking to the mic. Sorry. Sorry. The strong, the powerful. <laughs> I lose track of this little fucker. <laughs> The strong, the powerful, the powerful, um, the people who know shit, everything else that matters in society, like Western civilization, basically, they're going to debase it. I'm listening. Okay. Um, so Nietzsche warned us of that and we are now at risk because, um, we haven't listened to him. And we don't have any modern philosophies 
courses offered anymore in Nietzsche. Because Why is Nietzsche kind of viewed as a like dark kind of guy? Well, he called himself the Antichrist, which okay. kind of like is kind of a dark scar on him. But he also um, he also recognized exactly what was happening in the modern age, which was really, really fascinating because he said, there's a trend of nihilism that's going on here and people are starting to not believe in anything at all. So this goes back to like our belief in, in God. Right. You know, he said like in people in the modern age, like after the enlightenment, they're, they're not, they, they believe in their own intelligence. They believe in their own rationality. They believe in their own, sense of self their ego and so that's why you have descartes you know descartes rises like the, like the ego is, is everything i think therefore i am powerful um and you have the enlightenment that follows after that you have like you know rousseau and you know, all these like political like hacks who think that they have found a solution for society based on like their ego driven enlightenment driven rational driven stuff and it's just it's a bunch of you know cartesian marlarchy where you have this isolated ego that creates a utopia and then you have nothing politically like you have confusion politically and you have um well you have you have tyranny i don't know where that's going but it's like it's insane all right, let me ask you a totally different philosophy question because I'm kind of curious. Okay. What was it about ancient ancient Greece and then I guess those German dudes that came around late? What was going on that you had kind of these unbelievable thinkers that came out of those environments? Okay. Um well the ancient dudes had it going on. Like they have all the answers. That's it. Like like everything else is a footnote. You them. mean the Greek guy? I mean the uh, German dudes compared German to the dudes Greek are guys. Fucking like nothing. Okay. Yeah, they're 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 shit. They're little <laughs> shitheads. <laughs> so Nietzsche, nothing compared well, to your Plato's. Uh, c- compared your... to compared to Plato, Nietzsche's like a little shit. He's like a pimple on Plato. He had nothing to add <laughs> to the dialogue nothing. whatsoever. No. So I mean, why do you think it was though during that time period? I mean, firstly. This is how uneducated I am. How many years back are we talking about when we're looking at Aristotle? Um, Aristotle, uh, the third century BC. So just in years, how many years? Um, Approximately 2,200 years ago. So, okay. Between now, you think about all the technological developments, the Googles that are out there, and like some of the just science that we've done. Why do you think 2,200 years ago they had better ideas for life and philosophy than anything we've done since? Well, what was it about that time period that spawned these great minds? It wasn't technology that motivated them. It wasn't. It wasn't about. It wasn't about like making better sanitation or like increasing like the abilities of communication that motivated them. Right. Like their motives were different. So like they didn't have a profit motive because there was no real money to be made. So they just sat around and thought about they have their slaves. ideas. They had slaves. Oh. They had slaves. They so was a slave culture. People with slaves now, people would start coming up with well, some brilliant we do shit. Have, we do have slaves now. Right. They're called machines. 
Interesting. Yeah. So it kind of comes down to that idea of just if people have free time on their hands. I mean, some people will be idiots like me and just jerk well, off at home and do drugs. <laughs> but other people sit down and have you know, really interesting ideas and explore what it is to be a human being. Do you know what the word? Yeah. Do you, okay. Do you know what the word? All right. I'm going to introduce you to a word. Okay. It's skole in Greek. S-C-H-O-L-E. Skole. Okay. It means leisure. But it's where we get the word school. And scholar, because that's leisure. and scholarship. That, that's the sign of leisure. Exactly, is that you have the time. Is that you have you have infinite amount of time to sit down to sit down and and think about the meaning of life, and what you know what what are we here for, and why what what are we doing, that kind of thing. Okay, and can you hear the frogs? I do. Fucking, I like a good bullfrog. But that's, is a good that a, frog. That's, that's a frog. That's a good frog. That's a frog. Man, I fucked that frog. That's the main call of a champion right there. That's like, I don't know, he like swallowed like crickets. You know, he's got like an army of crickets in its belly. That's a big frog. That right is a big there. ass fucking frog. All right, so is that even a frog? That's that sounds like a frog yeah. that's got the devil inside that's of him. A frog. Unbelievable. I like a good ribbit. Like when you hear like a bullfrog that's just got like the deep, like that's not, that's a whole different thing. That guy's, he's got a whole chorus going on. Can we find it? Okay. If you want to. All right. Two more questions for while we have the uh, philosophy professor extraordinaire breaking down life for us. Okay. So with your understanding of the classics yes now i know that i believe it's aristotle has the idea of kind of virtue and temperance can you give us some sort of i I mean you already told us don't jerk off and actually try and have (laughs) sex with women and i think that's noble but let's be honest you know our fans eat sandwiches and jerk off a whole bunch and at least they're being calm and they're not being bothering other people let me tell you about (laughs) this one thing i actually had a conversation one time with a cia agent who, okay. Who was interviewing um, potential other CIA agents, and he was part of like the group of. So like, you were being recruited to the CIA. No, 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 no. I was not, but I, right. I, I, I had let's say contact with him. Okay. And, um, so you fucked a CIA? No, guy. I didn't. <laughs> wait, wait, wait! You're jumping to conclusions. Okay. But, um, but anyway, he he said that there was this one guy who. Um, they have to pass like a test, you know, on that. What's it called? Like the, the uh, lie detector test. Okay. Okay. And, and there was this one particular instance where his thing like spiked, like, and they're like, what was that? So he was good on everything else. And they, so they asked him like, what about this? And so he had to admit that he actually, um, he was tall enough to, back himself up against a wall and fillet himself from that position. And so... Um, so he could suck his own dick standing yeah, upright? Yeah. How short was he slash how big was his dick? <laughs> and how does this come up on a CIA exam? None of this makes sense. I don't know, but... The CIA... By the way, if you ever meet a dude in the CIA, he has the world's <laughs> biggest dick. That's what it takes to be in the CIA. They don't care about how smart you are, how good of a spy you are. They just want to know, have you sucked your own dick? Is it that big? Can you show up to another country, get busted for being a spy, and be like, yeah, I get that I'm a spy, but look at this fucking dick. It disqualified him. It disqualified him? It disqualified him. Oh, they don't want people who can suck their own dicks. No, yeah. How big was his dick? I don't know. 
I never learned. Wait, how can you suck your own dick standing upright? That doesn't even no, make sense. No, he pushed himself against a wall and backwards and upright, apparently. That almost feels like it had nothing to do with the test no, and he like, thought they'd be impressed by it. <laughs> well, no, he lied on the test. Like, have you ever sucked yourself off? That was a question? Yeah, apparently. And he lied. And, and then, said no? And it went, wee! He said no. And it went, wee! You know? And then they're like, well, what's that all about? And then he had to explain... Oh, well, one time I backed myself up. Against- oh God! <laughs> Why did that come? I don't. I don't even remember what the question was that you decided to share that story with us. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have no idea what that has to do with anything. <laughs> I think, wait, wait. The question was about virtue and temperance. And what you can take from the Greek philosophers as lessons for better living. <laughs> Somehow we got to a story about some dude who applied for the CIA and jerked him. I mean, sucked his own dick. Yeah, I don't know. So let's take another step. Let's take another chance. I know that Aristotle had ideas about virtue and temperance. And that a bunch of these brilliant men had very good ideas for how you could live your best life. Now, you already told us this is how we got there. Don't jerk off as much. Insightful wisdom. Other than that, are there any other quick takes that you have from us that our listeners who are trying to live their best lives can take as takeaways? Hey, this would be a yeah, good idea for better sure. living. Self-control. Okay. Um, I guess I should say this closer. Uh, self-control. Socrates advises young Alcibiades in the Alcibiades dialogue. What you need, he said, what you need to get is not political power or political authority to do whatever you want. That's not what you should aim for. What you should aim for is self-control. So, self-control. Okay, love it. And now we're going to come to our last topic of the day, and it might be a longer one, but uh, I know that you love Plato. Plato's your dude. I don't know much about Plato other than he's one of the main philosophers. He seems to be a a slight footnote to Aristotle, which I know you're going to reject. I know that you're going to be upset about that. He can't be a footnote to Aristotle because he came before Aristotle. Well, for some reason, Aristotle seems to be more well-known. And that's the problem. He's like the Boston Red Sox to Aristotle. That's not just part of the problem. That is the problem. Maybe I should start a podcast. That is the problem. That is the problem. Not bad. Compete with part of the problem. (laughs) Exactly. But what I'm most interested when it comes to Plato is I know he wrote the book. uh, Actually, oh shit, we actually have two topics to discuss. But let's start with the Republic. So I never read the Republic, but I know that it's one of the early works about what kind of government structures would work best. And I also know that that along with, um, oh, give me one second. You ever read, uh, uh, fuck me. Give me one second. The Labyrinth? The Labyrinth? Yes. So the Labyrinth. Wait, wait, wait. Which, when, which Labyrinth? Are you talking Jorge Boris? Maybe. Borges? What okay. I'm really drawing from is, I, I don't remember the guys. Oh, Steven Pinker wrote that okay. really interesting book. <laughs> yeah, I got him too. Not his most recent book, but the the book passed, which he wrote a newer version of it. But I read the, the, this other book about five years ago, and it was about how the world is actually a better place than it's ever been at any other point in human history. And all this negativity that you see is really oh, yeah. media portrayals which is not the reality is violence is at its lowest level that it's ever been in human history. Sure. And we're actually evolving for the better. I don't remember the title of that book. I remember though. Yeah. If you remember it. Uh, Yeah. I thought I got it. I know it's like, uh, but 
you know, I'm, I'm drunk, not remembering you know, the title. So, it's all yeah, good. Yeah. One of the things that he referred to quite often within the book, while I might lean a little bit more towards, um, we don't really need a government. We don't really have to get into that. We don't have to get into that. Actually, yeah. I would love to. But okay. Anyway. <laughs> when it came to the Steven Pinker book, he refers to Plato's The Republic and also, I believe it was, I'm fucking forgetting it, but it's some other classical work. I thought it was something lab, I, I'm not really remembering it, but- he, Thomas More's Utopia? I don't, I really don't remember. No. I should have done my homework before this and drank less, but- <laughs> What he, what he speaks about is that part of there's a pacifying effect to there being a third party control of violence that people are so True. afraid of other similar to if you saw I, I would say the Planet of the Ape movies are a really good representation of this that people are so afraid of the other group and that they're so afraid that they're going to attack them they'll actually attack first and so if there's a third party monopoly over violence there's a pacifying effect and for the most part there's a reduction in violence now this is the opposite of what Dave Smith and some of your really anti-government libertarians are because they don't think there should be a third party controller monopoly over violence. Let's not get into that. We don't I don't okay. want to get into that at all. Okay. What I do want to get into is that the Republic is quoted yes. as being one of the better and more philosophical documents that call yeah. for some sort of a government. Yes. So you lay it on us. Okay, that's what all exact- bullshit. Yeah, okay. It's all bull fucking shit. Because Plato never wanted no fucking government. Well, no. What Plato... Okay. I understood something earlier today, and I forget what it was now, but, but I'm going to draw it all together. And the thing is, Plato never wanted a government... Oh, okay. What a government is, is a government, a, a Kubernetes of the mentos, which is a, a steering of the mind. He never wanted any kind of totalitarian regime. If that's what people interpret him as having, then they interpret the, the Republic in the wrong way. And I've read it in Greek, and I know the fuck what it says. They never wanted and a totalitarian regime. What they did in the Republic was entertain a bunch of different possibility of republics, and they all shot them down. They said, like, none of these republics are going to work. Like, you have a republic of this, and you have a republic of that, and you have a republic of this. And so they, they, they entertain a bunch of different series of republics in thought, and they never say, they never endorse, like... Plato never endorses any single one of them and says like, oh, well, this is like the glorious one that we should have. No, they're all shot down. All of them. Every single one is shot down. There's not a single one left standing. Not a single government left standing at the end of the Republic. So So why... You're saying if you look at Plato's The Republic, it's actually a shooting down of every model of government to come to the conclusion that government doesn't work. So what... What government model was Plato a fan of? Well, education. Okay. Okay. The, the, the leaders of society are the educators. That's the whole point. Like, the whole point of the allegory of the cave. <laughs> which, which is what we're going to get into next. Which we're going to sure. get into next. Yeah. Um, the allegory of the cave is that educators are the only leaders of society, period. It's not politicians. It's not people who use force it's not people it's not cops it's not um it's not anybody who attempts to aggressively 
distribute your own resources. It's educators who encourage you to do the right thing. It's it's people who will say like, hey, you should invest here or there, or you should go to college here or there, or you should maybe not go to college at all. Like those are the people who are really the ones who are supposed to be in charge, the, the educators. Okay. That, that, that's what Plato says. Actually, that's what that's what the whole republic is about. And I'm not the only one who says that CDC Reeve as a, a, a well-published. But isn't that so? But when you say the educate, the educators aren't actually in charge to make decisions for people. They're just it's more of a societal thing where they're respected. And so people look to them for information. Exactly. So like, so there's no force. Like, there's no like no, single body that makes decisions. It's like, like fucking no, Gandhi or, or yeah. fucking Jesus or, 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 you know, like, like any, 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 I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't say fucking Jesus. Sorry, <laughs> Jesus. Um, uh, but like, no, like a person who's well-respected and has garnered like good attention because of good ideas. That's the kind of person that you should follow. Not, not academicians, not, not any of these other people. So the leaders of like govern, government, the fact that there's a Kubernetes, there's, that there's a governor of your mentos, your your mental ability is fucking scary. So you should, beware of who's in charge of that and say like okay well i i will listen to these podcasts and not not these podcasts right all right so let's go to the last topic of the evening and this is a big one which is the allegory of the cave oh boy now recently i've gotten very into this philosopher his name is gi gearchiff have you ever heard of the guy no interesting dude i came across it because you ever hear of the strand bookstore in new york I heard of it. It's yeah. a cool bookstore. Yeah. Anytime you Never walk been in there, there it's fun. You should come to the Strand one time. I'll show you. It's a okay. cool place. Cool. Y- you walk through there, you're going to find a book. One time I'm walking through there, I found a book. It was called, I think, The Tao of Bill Murray. And it was <laughs> kind of about Bill Murray and his philosophy on life. Okay. No one's funnier than Bill Murray. I'm like, I'm looking at, I got to read it. <laughs> I'm reading one chapter and he's talking about that some of Bill Murray, Bill Murray used to study this guy, G.I. Gearchiff, right? And then some of the things he was talking about really spoke to me, which was the mechanical nature of human brains. And so what I mean by that is even myself, when it comes to more academic information, there's kind of a prism by which I take information and I'll start kind of working on it. Yeah, yeah. But we also do that emotionally. There's kind of like we have an algorithm within our brain where events happen and then we start just going we start reacting to it but we never really question the process and it's kind of a mechanical process yeah yeah and what Gearchiff kind of refers to that as being man being asleep and that since we're not a little bit more mindful about the mechanical processes within our brain we're not really conscious in our waking life very interesting now, where Bill Murray, and you should go look this up, I think it was on some random interview where he said it, and it was fucking profound, and this is very much so based on uh, the wisdom of uh, Gearchiff, was that you live in your own head. Like, no matter, like, even if you're crazy and you look at everything in the most negative of ways, the reality is, is that you kind of live within your own brain, and so you might as well have <laughs> your brain be a peaceful place, because you live there. And there's a little bit of a logic yeah. to the fact that perception is reality because you're living it. So, like, even if you're a schizophrenic and you're hearing voices, right. 
the point is you live within your brain. You only have your your perception is life. And so you should invest in firstly not being mechanical and sleepless and having the life that you're living within your brain being very much so an actual representation of what's here. But going beyond that, you might as well invest in your perception being a positive reception because you can somewhat control that. So let's go one step further. Okay. On this concept of perception as reality, this is my own example, and I think it, it kind of proves the concept. Let's say you have a form of colorblindness where you're looking at the sky right now and the sky looked 100% red. 100% red. Right. Now, you and I could debate for the next thousand years that objectively the sky is blue, but does it matter? If I look at the sky and I see it as red, and my filter, my eyes, interpret that as being a red color, in my brain, I'm looking at a red world. If you can prove to me objectively that that's blue, does it matter? It doesn't mean that we don't have anything to discuss. But what what I'm trying to get at is... Like, that's a Cartesian, yes. that's a Cartesian problem. I guess what I'm getting at is I am okay with the concept that yeah. while you're living here... You don't need you don't need to invest in objective truth because it's more of a personal experience. Well, wait, wait. yes, but you can to a valuable point and purpose. Well, okay. Well, let's take the the sky is pink example. Let's let's just assume. Okay. So that is the most standard of things where you could go, hey man, you're fucking crazy. It's blue. Now, if you and I were to spend two hours debating whether or not the sky is blue or pink, and I continue to see it as pink. Does it matter? But it's actually kind of interesting that we disagree. Is right. It, isn't that the interesting point? You mean that you can see it as pink and I can see it as blue? And you would uh, you would say one thing and I would say the other, but I don't think we would say the different things because, like, whatever you see, I would see the same thing and call it a different thing, even though you called it a different thing. We would say see the same thing. No, but I'm saying, but if you were to even take the approach of, hey, this is objectively blue, right? but I perceive it as pink... It's no, pink but, to me. But it doesn't... Yeah. See, but that would never happen. You mean, I'm taking an example that couldn't possibly happen, and so it's completely meaningless. Okay. So, just to go full circle, <laughs> I've never read The Allegory of the Cave, but I believe that it's the earliest work kind of on this concept of that perception is reality, and that the idea is that a person could be... Uh, focused on one side of the cave and seeing shadows, and that could be the only thing he could see. And he could walk. He could die thinking that world is a place where you just look at shadows on a wall. So now I've never read it. You're the philosophy professor. Yeah, well, that's what I encounter every single fucking day yeah. in the classroom. All these little children coming in, like with their views of, well, who are the shadows on the cave? Who are they? They're everything that the media projects. Right. It's everything that they've learned from K through 12 through their indoctrination. So it's all that bullshit. It's um, it's everything that society has kind of like projected as like this or that. Like transgender is okay and rainbows and Target. You walk into Target and... And like in the little kids section of Target, you know, where they have little kid clothing, you know, like for... I don't know. I don't have little kids, but but I've seen the pictures. You know, they have like rainbows. It's like transgender people welcome here. It's like, well, what the fuck are you doing here? So, um, at any rate, the cave. That's the cave. That's the cave. Like we're being projected these images of this rancid world, and um, and it's like all the. If you watch the Democratic. <laughs> 
election debates, if you watch any political debates whatsoever and you take them seriously, then you've fallen for the puppets in the cave because those are all the puppets. All of them are puppets. They're fucking puppets. And they just like, they mouth their little like words and you can see them mouthing their little words. And I hate them. And I want to get beyond them. And so like the whole purpose of philosophy is to get beyond politics. Because at the end of the Alcibiades dialogue, there's very important words that Al- that Socrates says to Alcibiades. He says, what you need to get to your, for yourself, young man, is not political power and authority to do whatever you want. It's self-control. That's what you need. You need wisdom and self-control. And he says that twice. So that is the end of what Plato has to say about gaining virtue and it's not it's not gaining power or political um status in a community it's about gaining self-control it's about gaining virtue and wisdom that's it that's what philosophy is and it's not about ruling over other people it's about ruling over yourself okay I think that's a great way to end. It's a little bit of a steer away from my perception as reality, but I, I like it. It's uh, what we used to call when I was in yeshiva. It's musr. It's uh, it's wisdom for how you should best behave yourself and invest in uh, self-control, jerk off a little bit less, and eat no. less sandwiches for one week only. We'll make it for, for one week only. Wait, let's, wait, wait, wait. let's practice a little temperance. I want to come that's back. A, that's, a, to... that's a Ben Franklin world. No, 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 you're done. That's I want to come back on this. <laughs> that's what we're going it, to... For one week, we're going to practice a little temperance maybe let's go the run your mouth summer porch tour one week challenge to not jerk off more than twice i think that's reasonable within a seven day stretch i don't even know if i'll hold myself to that standard anyways this was a very fun episode a great episode two of the summer porch tour thanks so much for having us any closing remarks before we call it an episode thank you so much rob you're awesome i love you all thank you cheers